Welcome back to Reality Asserts Itself. I'm Paul Jay. We're continuing our discussion with former Catholic priest and now Episcopal priest, Matthew Fox. Thanks for joining us again. Thank you, Paul. And as you've been, if you've been watching, and you really should go back to part one to understand where we're at, but Matthew was a Catholic priest who uh, got in the crosshairs of the Inquisition led by Cardinal Ratzinger and was first of, all, first of all silenced and then asked to leave the Dominican order, more or less turfed, and continued to speak out, and here he is speaking out. Uh, you've been, uh, when we first interviewed, Pope Francis had just been appointed, and you, and I have to say I, were pretty dubious about Francis uh, in terms of his history in Latin America, um, some connections to not Opus Dei directly, but an Italian version of something like Opus Dei that Francis seemed to have some connection of, and the whole history of the last you know, 30 some odd 40 years, you, you described the Catholic Church as being as, as, as decrepit as the, as the Borgias, um, but he surprised you, and he seems to have surprised a lot of people. Um, with his positions on climate change and his uh, speaking out on uh, inequality and, and other kinds of issues, and essentially a kind of social democrat. Um, but you've not been satisfied with his response on the uh, issue of the church and the covering up of crimes of priests, of pedophilia. Um, so what's, what has been the Pope's response and why are you not satisfied with it? Well, I, I would like to put in, in a good word for him regarding his position on, on the climate change. And, and we're going to do a whole section we do on that. Oh, excellent. Good. So we'll, we'll, we'll okay. talk through, good. we're going to talk about the far right's attack on Francis oh, and good. such. But, okay, but, let's just talk about the yeah. yeah. Well, um, this latest revelation from the, um, the, the civic uh, side of uh, the state of Pennsylvania, maybe the attorney general and so forth, is truly horrific. Uh, and um, the Pope took a couple of days to respond and then he wrote a public letter about um, pedophilia and the priesthood. And he makes some points in there that are good points about the culture of clericalism, uh, which I would kind of define as a, the club mentality of uh, boys getting together and keeping secrets from everyone else and so forth. And he criticizes that and... Is, it, is the idea there that sort of defend the brotherhood of the priests first and then you can worry about the negative effects perhaps? Yes, that's part, part of it, yeah. And um, it's kind of a, a mini version of the idea that you defend the church at all costs and you don't tell the truth to the world about what's going on in the dark corners of the church. So it's, it's kind of a mini version of that, I think. It's, it's, again, I think it's a very tribal thing, and, and it's a very male thing, I think, where you get together and keep secrets. But, um, so he has some good points in that letter, but to me it's a very disappointing letter because, first of all, he goes, he goes on and on about prayer and fasting and fasting and prayer, and, and uh, to me that's not what what blew the whistle on this thing. It was good lawyering that blew the whistle on this thing. And um, uh, so that's one disappointment. But further, he does not say how to undo the clericalism. He does not lay out any steps for what can be done. 
and good words, you know, we've had a lot of those for the last 25 years about how awful pedophilia is. So we need more than words. We need more action. And um, so if I were advising him on the action, first of all, how do you undo clericalism? Well, you bring women into the picture. And so allow, getting women to, uh, to uh, 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 appropriate uh, their power, their authority, their decision-making in the church is a number one thing. That would undo a lot of this stuff. It would not happen if, if women were allowed to make decisions. Now, in the Episcopal Church, there are women in yes. positions of power. Is Absolutely. The, is the culture different in the Episcopal Church? Oh, very much so. Women are ordained priests. But has it made a difference on the, on the issues like pedophilia? Oh, I think so. I think so. Now, you know, let's agree that pedophilia is a human problem. It's not just a Catholic Church problem. We see it at Ohio State. We see it in the sports of Penn State and, and wrestling teams in Ohio. and and uh, this doctor in Michigan State and USC. But notice what happened. When, the, when it was found out these are th that this was going on, uh, the presidents were fired. Whereas in the Catholic Church, when you found out this was going on, the bishops just kind of, uh, they're still in place. They've not been fired. And the Pope wasn't fired. And a lot of this stuff happened under the previous two popes. Um, this is Rat, Ratzinger. Ratzinger. Ratzinger sat as chief inquisitor, as, as head of the Congregation of Faith. His, one of his jobs was to oversee wayward priests. And he sat on a report for nine years about this horrible man, Father Maciel, who started seminaries all over South America and brought in lots of money for the church. And he was personally abusing his seminarians, young teenagers. Terrible. And this stuff sat on Ratzinger's desk for nine years. When he became pope, he, acted on, he be, began to act on it. And eventually the truth came out. But, but the truth is that, and a sad part of Pope Francis's letter is he quotes Ratzinger right near the beginning. Ratzinger had, again, some fancy, strong words about how horrible this is, uh, pedophile priests. But to quote Ratzinger, if you know the whole story about how slow he was to move on this, and he got no support from John Paul II, John Paul II was very close to his father, Marcel. He put him on a plane with him and we'd go traveling and everything. He ordained 49 of his priests in a big ceremony in outdoors at St. Peter's in Rome. Pope John Paul did this. And yet the rumors even then were, were around. So it's, it's horrible the way that the cover-up is, is the real sin here. Well, obviously, pedophilia is a sin and an evil, but the cover-up is a double. And way. is it because many of the priests involved are actually themselves quite senior, not just in covering up, but in actually involved in it? I mean, why, why wouldn't they just be in their interest, one would think? One would think. Not to let this thing yeah. get so well, malignant. They, they run in this ideology that that everything is about keeping the church looking pure and holy. And so you don't want to show the, 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 the pus. But do they also think it's actually not so bad? Well, that's um, someone, you could come to that conclusion. You could come to that conclusion that it's more bad to, to uh, shed light on the darkness of the church than it is to destroy a person's life. Because when this happens to a child, it haunts you the rest of your life. And many other suicides, of course, the addiction, the drug addicts, the, the uh, alcoholics that, that 
come out of this kind of abuse. And, and of course, the fact that it's in the name of religion does add a whole other dimension of perversion and, and sorrow uh, to the entire uh, uh, experience. Uh, so, yeah, it's just beyond the pale. And of course, look what happened in Ireland. When this blew up a few years ago in Ireland, uh, the Irish church has practically totally collapsed. Um, Fifteen years ago, something like 85-90% of Catholics in Ireland were practicing. Now it's 15% in just a few years. And the whole younger generation is just off. They've left the church. Um, and I remember hearing a, a, a 30-year-old or so uh, women Catholic theologian here in the States talk about how um, her generation, she was 12 years old when these stories broke about the abuse of 12-year-olds. You know, and you know, she immediately got it. I mean, she felt it quite personally, to say the least. And uh, even though she herself was hung in the church, she said she could understand why her whole generation has just turned its back. I, uh, a few years ago, I was invited to speak in Detroit, and, and I got an email saying, could I drive you in from the airport? I said, sure. There was this young woman, 30, 31, she had just had a baby, I remember the baby was in the back seat, in a, in a baby seat. And um, she said, I was raised Catholic. Now I have a baby. I want a, my baby to grow up with morality and all that stuff, but I'm not going to put, put him in, in danger by sending him to Catholic schools or even the Catholic church. She said, what do I do? That's why she wanted to drive in with me to talk about this. You know, it's a dilemma for young couples, young parents, you know. That uh, they can't trust the Catholic Church. And um, of course, I see this in kind of a, the bigger picture that I've written about in my book, The Pope's War, that um, uh, we're living in a time of the end of the Catholic Church as we know it. And that's not a bad thing. Uh, I think it's the, 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 the call, the challenge, is to go back and find out who is this Jesus about? What is he teaching? What's he teaching us? How does it connect to the wisdom of the East, the wisdom of the indigenous people, the wisdom we need as a species to survive today? And there's a lot of stuff, a lot of, as I say, we don't have to travel with basilicas on our back anymore, just backpacks. We have to get rid of a lot of stuff. And um, I think th these kinds of tragedies uh, are stripping down the very meaning of religion. We have to go back to what I call spirituality. Religion just carries a lot of stuff with it, and it's time to kind of move on. You said earlier, you've written that, you know, in the fourth century when the church takes over the empire, um, you have a, a real class division within the church. This top-tier hierarchy are the feudal aristocracy. And, and you know, the Borgias are the most outrageous example of how depraved and corrupt that stratum of the church can be, but it didn't end with the Borgias. And they're allied with the whole sections of, first of all, the feudal aristocracy, and then sections of the fascist capitalist aristocracy. Um, and then you've got ordinary priests who, as young Irish kids, decide this is a way to do good. Uh, that fight's still going on. Um, and how much is Francis' uh, not being stronger in purging the church of this decrepit stratum is that he's in a big struggle with them and they want to overthrow him because of his positions, particularly on climate and inequality and, 
and even just threatening this, this whole stratum. And that he can't do, do a lot more, at least not too openly right now, because there's an active movement to get rid of him. Well, that's true. He has an impossible job, I think. Um, you know, Lord Acton, the historian, said power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And um, I think that you see this playing out in a lot of history today, not just in church history, but in, in other uh, uh, political uh, issues that we face today. But um, uh, I think, uh, for example, my solution, one of my solutions, it has to be a multi-pronged solution, to pedophilia is, of course, to bring women in. Well, that's very hard in the Catholic Church because the last few popes said, women can never be ordained, women can never be ordained. And this pope has repeated that mantra. So uh, you're not going to do away with clericalism if women are not brought into the room. But doesn't he also, if he can, have to fire a whole lot of senior people? <laughs> Well, um, there's that too. If you may know that in, in Chile, when the pedophilia thing blew up a few years ago, all the bishops volunteered to retire. They sent in their retirement papers. He's only accepted, I think, five of, of, the re, of them as retired. But now people are calling for that now in the American church. They're saying every bishop should hand in their papers and retire. Um, but uh, again, this just shows the, what can I say, the... the chaos that the Catholic Church is in today. And uh, obviously one man at the top cannot solve all this. And, and as you say, there's a right wing pulling on him very strongly. And the right wing, of course, is not just about Catholics. The Catholics are in bed with the right wing evangelicals today. They're in bed with Rush Limbaugh. You know, when, when the Pope uh, put out his good and sickle on the environment, Rush Limbaugh said, this guy's a Marxist. This pope is a Marxist. Well, that says a lot about this pope. <laughs> and um, it's, it's complimentary, I think, to, be, to have an enemy like Rosh Limbaugh. But the point is, there are all these, there's, there's all this, there's these pressures coming. But again, if I were to go through a list, I mentioned bringing women in. I think, of course, making celibacy voluntary would be uh, a plus. It's not going to solve the problem entirely. All these uh, people who committed pedophilia at these universities were married men. So being married doesn't guarantee anything. But nevertheless, to make celibacy optional, it would be less attractive, I think, to pedophilias to think I can get away with it in that organization. Um, and of course, I think it's the civil uh, I think, uh, many people have said, now the state of Pennsylvania has found this, now we need 49 other investigations in the other states. And I think that's true. The civic powers can show the light on this. The Catholic Church has proven it cannot show the, sh shine the light on this. It's not capable of it. And, and you need legal uh, demands like subpoenas and bring forth the, the secrets, the secret papers that you have to see what's really been going on in secret. But one thing that should be said is that the vast amount of these horrible stories from Pennsylvania are, are from the past. You know, that, that they as did- As far as we know. As far as we know. That they did put in, beginning putting in rules about 15 years ago and more rules and more rules. So, you know, they made some progress. 
but um, nevertheless, you know, the truths have to come out. Now, another issue that has to be faced, I've alluded to it earlier, is the bad theology of sexuality that does not come from the scriptures. It comes from uh, neurotics like St. Augustine and some other patriarchal men. For example, Origen, if you've heard his name, he's a well-known theologian from, I think, the third century, a very smart guy. He castrated himself as a young man. That's how he dealt with his, his sense of lust. Well, you know, I think that's pretty, pretty severe, to put it mildly. But here's a guy who's telling the rest of us, you know, how to live our sexual lives, you know. And he's not saying everyone castrates himself, but that's how he dealt with it. It's not a very <laughs> hospitable way of welcoming your, your sexuality, the second chakra. You know, we have to, you know, think smart. And of course, psychology, Freud and the rest uh, can help us with this. This is some advancement in human consciousness in the last 200 years. That we can think a little more benignly about our sexuality. And again, that sexuality is a blessing. It's an original blessing. It's not a problem. But of course, you got to learn to deal with it well. It doesn't run away with you, but it's true of all our other passions too, including anger and so forth. So again, this is where traditions of the world uh, can really help us um, that be, even be able to talk about sexuality as a second chakra puts it into another language context, which is not just Western, and it kind of opens your mind about thinking differently about it. So, um, and you know, in the Bible, there's a whole book, The Song of Songs, which is a celebration of the mysticism of lovemaking, the theophany, the experience of God when people make love. That's what it's about. So it's, the Bible is not against sex, uh, but a lot of these patriarchal men who've come along as ascetics trying to beat themselves up because they don't know how to deal with their sexuality, that's what's been projected on the church. That stuff has to be deconstructed to get around to really solving the pedophile pro uh, issue. Because, and then, of course, the homophobia, too. The putting down of homosexuals is inviting homosexuals into closets to hide. Right, but also into the church. That's the irony of it. That's the irony of it. But you know, indigenous people around the world teach that uh, homosexuals bring a special spiritual dimension to the community. And so um, gay and lesbian people will be attracted to uh, spirituality. And so the idea that you're going to solve this, as some stupid cardinals have said, by banishing all gay people from seminaries is utterly stupid because you're, you're, um, you're, you're shooting yourself in the foot in terms of spiritual energy. So um, uh, moving from homophobia to recognizing what science is saying, that 8 or 10% of any given human population is going to be gay, is, is, uh, is very important so that we, we welcome uh, the, the gifts and the charisms that gay and lesbian people bring to, to, to religion. Okay, in the next segment of our interview, we're going to talk about the fascist cabal, Opus Dei, Steve Bannon, American Cardinal Burke, uh, who are targeting not only Pope Francis, but are trying to encourage a rise of far-right, really fascist movements in Europe and here and right into the White House. So please join us for the continuation of Reality Asserts Itself on the Real News Network.